Alright guys, welcome to CLD Talks. Thanks very much for Vic for filling in for me while I've lost my voice. This week's guest is Claire McGilvery, who is the director of Making Rights Real. Claire tells us about her starting off her career and why she's so passionate about human rights and she was also the chair of the World Community Development Conference which was held in Dundee in 2019. I hope you guys enjoy and Claire, it'd be great if you could just tell us a wee bit about yourself. Yeah, certainly Connor. Thanks very much for having me on here as well. I've listened to your previous podcasts and they've been absolutely brilliant. So I'm really thrilled to be here. So thanks very much for the invite, first of all. Oh, no bother, um, no bother. Good. Aye, so a wee bit about me. Well, I guess I'm from Dundee originally um, and I live now in East Lothian. So I'm kind of based um, in Trinent, which is an ex-mining town in East Lothian, which I absolutely love living here. It's salt of the earth people that that, that I live in and, and work beside, so it's fantastic. But in terms of me, like I, um, I left Dundee when I was about 17 to go to Aberdeen University and studied um, my first degree there. And I guess that's where I first had an idea that I needed to learn a bit more about the world. So that then took me to living and working in India for a couple of years and then came back to Scotland and worked in community development for 20 years in tenant participation. And now I'm the director of um, Making Rights Real, which is a new Scottish charity, um, which is going to be using the power of human rights with communities to be able to make economic, social and cultural change in Scotland. And I've always been kind of involved from a local level right through to an international level. So that's a bit of a a whistle-stop tour for me. Um, But I'm sure you'll have loads of questions about how I got there and what are some of the stories along the way. Yeah, definitely. So um, just to start off, so how did you get involved um, with your current role? Uh, With my current role, that actually started um, about six or seven years ago. I was working um, with the tenants movement in Edinburgh at this time. And and what happened was we we decided that we would use a human rights-based approach in tenant participation. There were lots of housing issues going on um, across the city of Edinburgh and realised that there probably needed to be a bit of a, a different approach to how that operated and how people could actually see change happen in their communities. So set up a project with the Scottish Human Rights Commission and with PPR, the Participation in the Practice of Rights, which is set an organisation in Belfast that's been using human rights for a lot of years with community groups and worked with um, a group of residents in Leith in Citadel, Persevere Courts and um, West Cromwell Street who were experiencing poor housing conditions. And that work was about how do we use international human rights standards to change um, perceptions about housing conditions and also to actually empower people to be able to use human rights in action. So that project went on for four years and by the end of it had brought in um, 2.3 million quid's worth of investment into housing in the Leith area. So it was a pretty powerful kind of movement of people learning about human rights, carrying out um, participatory action research to find out what their neighbours thought about their housing conditions and then framing those housing conditions into um, international human rights standards and then realising what those rights were over time and monitoring the progress of how that change could happen over time so the people set their own indicators um, and then monitored how the duty bearer 
which is in this case the Edinburgh Council responded to that. So for me that was a bit of a learning curve in the sense that actually this was a tool as a community worker which I had never used in my career and had never been taught how to use before. So it kind of hit me that actually there's probably something that we could be doing much more in Scotland to empower communities to use human rights in a practical way. So that set me then off on a journey of establishing Making Rights Real as an organisation and then starting to think about, okay, how might this operate? How could communities use human rights in a really practical way going forward? Um, so Making Rights Real was established last year in 2020. Um, and just recently I was appointed as the director of the organisation and we're now at the point of starting to think about, right, where might the spark fall from Leith? Which other communities might be interested in using a human rights-based approach to try and change, you know, the circumstances that they're living or working in? Right, so then, so is the purpose then for you to go into communities to then try and support them using human rights-based approach? And Yeah, I guess what we'd be hoping to do is work alongside marginalised communities who are really experiencing the worst of kind of human rights issues Mm -hmm. here in Scotland um, and supporting them to, to look at what their issues are, find out what actually people's experiences are Um, and then pull that together into um, a way that they could then demonstrate what human rights um, issues are applicable. So, for example, if you look at things like the right to housing, we we were working with tenants who had sewage coming up through their sinks or mould around the walls, and part of the, the work was then saying, okay, these are your big issues, let's find out what your community thinks about it. And then let's look at what are the international human rights standards around those particular issues. And for us in housing, that was around the right to adequate housing, which is part of economic, social and cultural rights. Um, And then getting them to frame, okay, well, what change do we want to see happening in the next two years? What is it that we want to see happening? And and how do we hold public authorities um, to account for that change that we want to see happening? So it really is about learning and and supporting people with that learning and empowering folk to be able to say, well, actually, I already have these rights by being virtue of being a human being. Um, And there are public authorities which hold the responsibilities to carrying out those rights and then supporting people to think about, okay, how do you how do you get those public authorities to then shift and and make sure that your rights are being supported um, and and being changed? So that might be about campaigning. It might be around social media or making films or using artwork to actually um, make the rights kind of come alive in people's stories, but also in the data and how we change that that power relationship which communities can often face when they're in a campaigning um, mode to change things with public authorities. Definitely, it'll be brilliant just to see how you progress, especially if you're just starting in 2020 that we all know was a disaster year. So um, it'll be interesting in how we see you progress now um, as we're now coming out of sort of COVID and things are hopefully opening back up and staying opening back up as we sort of move on. Um, so why did you initially decide in a career in CLD? Do you know, Connor, it's um, 
it was when I was living and working in India. So after my degree at Aberdeen, it was kind of the late 90s. Um, and I realised that I didn't actually know anything about life. I'd kind of had four years of studying at university and it, and it was fine and I quite enjoyed it and had a great time actually. But then thought, well, actually, I don't know what I want to do the rest of my life. And I feel like I don't know anything about life. So I need to go and explore a bit of the world and, and see um, how I could find my place in the world. And I went to India to do um, voluntary work initially for a year through an organisation called World Exchange, which was um, matching up volunteers from Scotland with different voluntary placements around the world. And so I was set to work in Hyderabad, which is kind of in the middle of India, about 26 hours south of Delhi. And I was working there in an organisation called the Henry Martin Institute, which had been set up um, actually as a faith institute trying to build bridges between different faith communities in India. Um, and I got there just at the end of kind of the communal riots that had happened in India in the late 90s and was then working in a community development project which was bringing together Hindu and Muslim communities in a kind of a peace building um, approach. And I didn't speak any Urdu at the time, I had to take kind of Urdu lessons for three hours every day, which was amazing and I had an amazing teacher, Abdul Karim, who was, who was just an absolute gem and got me kind of speaking a little bit of Urdu at least. But the work there was really where it first sparked my interest of community development. I didn't know that you could get paid for working with communities and supporting people to challenge um, infrastructure and to challenge um, power. I had no idea that that was a career. So I really, I learned I learned about community development from seeing it in action by incredible practitioners who were working in conflict areas um, and supporting communities to be economically um, more in kind of working economically to be able to change things for women, for example, or to be able to build peace between communities. And that just kind of blew my mind. So when I was doing that work, um, it really led me to a path in community development that was based on who are you and what can you give in service to the world and the communities that you're going to be working with. Um, and I think that that kind of message of service that I saw in the community workers that I was working with in India was really an incredible start for me. You know, when you, if you're talking about who, who are the people who inspire you to do work, was those people who were putting themselves at risk actually in in a place of, of violence at the time. Um, how did you find from how did you find for going for UK to India to working for straight out of uni and a complete different cultures and different society? Um um, I'll be honest, I was really homesick at first, and, and, and India is a bit of an assault on the senses because, you know, everything, everything is different, you know, and where I was living and working, although the people that I mainly worked with spoke English, a lot of people who were um, in the old city of Hyderabad didn't and spoke Urdu, so that was just a complete assault on the senses, but um, I made friends incredibly quickly with people. And I think that helped that building relationships um, 
really helped. I think now when I look back, though, probably the value that I took in, in my service or, or work was less than the value that I got back from people in terms of them sharing their, their practice with me. You know, I, I was kind of there as a volunteer, so wasn't there as, um, you know, a seasoned practitioner. So I was really there learning and supporting rather than anything else. But I loved India. I loved it. I loved the people. I loved that people were so generous and kind with their time and with their energy um, and really accepted me. And I've got great friends now who, you know, I'm still in contact with regularly from, from my days in Hyderabad. So I think, you know, it was an amazing start and an amazing start to my career. Yeah, as you know, and I love it when I've never um, worked abroad or done anything like that. But I love hearing people's stories about who have had that experience, um, because everybody's is just so different. But also for the timing when you went to India, that was just it's completely different, completely different. Um, so then after India, what was it you went in to do? So after India, I then um, went to Jordan for a year and spent a year editing a book about Palestinian culture. Um, I'd, I'd got married in Jordan. I met my husband when we were when we were in Hyderabad, um, and spent a year then living and and working with um, Palestinian women in a women's institute, which was fantastic. Volunteering again there, it was a, an organisation my mother-in-law had set up as a Palestinian feminist and the grassroots, and I was kind of there learning how how to just be with incredible women um, who were organising. Um, activities for women who were voiceless, really. Um, and then a- after that kind of year um, in in Jordan, it was it was really important for me to start to think then about okay, if this is a career that I'm wanting to pursue, having seen amazing activists um, at work, actually I need to do something about that and 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 follow that career. So I came back to Scotland and did my postgrad at Dundee. In community education um, and that and that was a bit of a, a glorious time for me as well because I was on placement at the adult learning project in Edinburgh um, and their whole ideas about um, Freirean practice just resonated with me so deeply on every level and the work that I was doing there was um, in setting up an act for women which was the first kind of um, International Women's Day Festival for Edinburgh in 2000. And so from that kind of experience, I made friends for life who just were awesome at teaching me how to do community work and practice. You know, Stan Reeves and Vernon Galloway and Nancy Somerville and Joan Bree and, and Rona Brown and all, all those amazing folk who just inspired my work and are still pals with me now um, and, and they really taught me how to do community work well I really learned my craft off of them and then after I'd done my, my, my years postgrad at Dundee um, I then set out to, to do tenant participation work so I was really interested in how actually you could um, enable and support people to influence housing conditions. I've always been really interested in housing. Um, and then I started work with Tenants Information Service in East Lothian and worked with the Tenants and Residents Panel in East Lothian for 10 years, um, setting up tenants groups and working with them to influence housing conditions. 
and then moved to Edinburgh to, to do the similar work in Edinburgh for about 10 years. So my career has mainly been in community development, but support in, in, in housing and tenants to influence. Met incredible activists, just brilliant folk who, who were feisty and um, punchy and, and brilliant at being able to get their voice over to be able to, to change um, circumstances for people who were living in, in either poor housing conditions or in conditions that needed to be improved. So, I mean, it's been um, an amazing ride being working um, with people across my career who, who are just fantastic volunteers and activists. And that's been a thread right throughout my career is that, you know, there are so many inspiring people that, that you, you get to work with that it just makes it fun, doesn't it? Oh, totally, totally. And you just saw, you, I was going to ask you a wee bit about role models. So I was, but I think you've touched on a few wee bits there, but was there anything in particular that any of the people that you named or any that you've no named that done anything that made you just think, wow, this is what I want to be here? I think there was a moment for me um, when I was on placement in Alp at the Adult Learning Project. And I remember um, sitting with Rona Brown, who's a great friend of mine now, who's an activist um, and had been involved with the Alp Association for many years. And Rona was talking about an experience that she had in South Africa, where she'd been sent from Alp to go and learn about what was going on in community work in South Africa. And she came back so touched and moved about that, about actually we're part of a global system here. Um, that what we do here in Scotland impacts on other people globally. And I remember hearing the stories of her work in South Africa and thinking, wow, how do we get that thread from the local through to the international um, in the work that we do? Because if we're part of a of a, a local community, whether it's as activists or community workers or family or friends, and everything that we do collects, connects to other people, then there's something in that that I need to take from that in terms of my career and my development as well. So Rona was completely inspiring for me in, in making that shift in thinking. Definitely brilliant. And um, one of the things, so when we're doing the podcast, I've usually got some notes on people, but one of the things that you've wrote is for role models um, is ordinary people doing extraordinary things. So could you tell us just a wee bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, I see it every day, people doing amazing stuff. You know, during the pandemic, for example, um, I live in East Lothian and there's a, a fantastic community development organisation here called the Penny Pit Community Development Trust. And literally within a week of the pandemic hitting last March, they had a whole food pantry system set up they had a system where people could go in and collect food and within about another couple of days they had a hot food system set up which was you know people could could get hot food delivered to them they could get prescriptions set up um, and Ruth Davy will hate me for name, naming her but she's an incredible incredible community worker who just is like a bag of beans jumping about you know she just gets things done and she wouldn't she would hate me to say that but she's extraordinary at what she does but she's an ordinary person in the sense that she comes with a 
with heart, you know, she comes to her work fully um, just in service of other people. And what I watched as a volunteer in terms of that whole setup of a community response where people were in need was just one of the most amazing sights I've seen. You know, just blew me away, blew me away at how, how quickly she was able to pull everybody together um, and, and in a creative way as well. And that's just one example. But, you know, you see, you see people all the time. You know, I think about Faith and Megan, who are um, two girls actually who live in East Lothian here in Trinette, who were involved with the Children's Parliament as part of the Children's Human Rights Defenders here in Trinette. And they went to Geneva as part of a programme to talk about children's human rights and what was happening in Scotland. Um, and they were from my, my town where I live now. And I thought, that, that's pretty cool that there are kids who are actually teaching adults about what they can do around human rights. And so they were pretty much banging on the door of our local women's group after they'd finished the programme with Children's Parliament and said, we want to get involved in your women's group. And we were like, well, okay. Actually, at that time, it was an adult-only group for women. And the girls were like, well, we want to get involved in it. So they involved themselves in the group, came <laughs> along, completely took over. Um, and at our first International Women's Day, when they were involved a few years ago, um, they facilitated the whole event with no prep, they literally just decided that they would become the compares of the of the night. It was absolutely magnificent. And since then, they've done a, an amazing job um, in bringing on new girls who've come involved in our local group. Um, and I, I just think that that's an awesome thing for a young person to do is to show that confidence to say, actually, we need to lead our own local community here in the work that we're doing. So they would also not think that they're extraordinary, but they are. They are um, amazing, that's amazing young women. That's yeah. amazing that they're, that they're just so confident and able just to go and do that. It's great when you hear stories like that. So, um, they're fab. Aye, brilliant. Um, so then you touched a wee bit about the pandemic. Um, it would just be interesting to see what was your sort of voluntary role um, with Penny Pit Trust and did you do anything else with different organisations or anything? Yeah, I mean, with the Penny Pit, all I was doing was helping with their food distribution stuff. You know, I was just one of the many, many, many volunteers that they roped in um, overnight to just pack bags and get the you know the food label sorted out to be able to get the machine rolling to get to get folk out uh, to get food out there to people um, so I would say I was a tiny cog in a wheel um, of an amazing um, group of volunteers who who were pulled together in that um, throughout the rest of the pandemic I guess the work that I was doing was in setting up making rights real and speaking to communities around um, what support they might need to put human rights into practice. Would they be interested in, in working alongside us and pulling together a board pull, and interviewing um, public authority leaders um, and community, community members and third sector leaders across Scotland to think about, right, how might this organisation work? 
and then also trying to pull together funders in Scotland around how might we independently fund human rights work in Scotland because it's one thing if you're um, doing work which is creative but can also be confrontational might be the word that other people might use in terms of um, work that's proactively um, challenging or shaking the tree, challenging the system or, or shaking the tree. Um, and so I did a lot of work last year during the pandemic, um, speaking to folk and finding out really um, how this kind of work could be funded and along with the CORA Foundation and the Human Rights Consortium. Um, for Scotland um, held sessions with independent funders in Scotland to say, well, actually, we need you to be on board with this because if communities are, are poking the bear, if you like, in terms of being active to, to change systems, um, that can cause a reaction. So they need to be funded independently to do this work so that they're not they don't have hands tied by service level agreements or being funded um, by a council or a public authority. So, so that was kind of the majority of the work that I was doing during COVID, which um, I thoroughly enjoyed, but I find really difficult. And as many people did, being isolated and working from home. You know, yeah. when you're a community worker, you want to be there in the room chatting with folk. You want to be having a cup of tea with people. You want to be building relationships. And and that that I find really hard um, during the COVID. Especially time. how sociable our field is. We're we're no we're no made for working from home, and you know, in an ideal scenario, we wouldn't be doing this either virtually. You know, ideally, that this would be a face to face as well. But that that was the thing I really struggled with. It was how do I work from home? You know, like fair, like eighty percent of my working week is face to face working with people. I can't do that in my house. So it was how do we adapt? And I think what we did do is we worked out how to do that really well, but it was difficult. It really was difficult, and I don't think there's enough really recognition of how hard that is, especially when you've got other people in the house as well. You know, me and my partner both had to work from home. We're both, uh, we do the same sort of job, and it's like, oh, you're like, Wi-Fi's gone. We can't do that anywhere. And how do you work around that? It's so difficult, so, so difficult. You must be desperate to get back to actually face-to-face being with folk then, eh, are you? Aye, so we, we have returned, um, so I still we're still working from home a bit, we're still, we're doing um, our, some youth groups and some uh, adult groups as well, um, but it's no back to full swing yet, so the sooner the better, sooner the better. We're allowed a team meeting now face to face, which was incredible, that, that was really nice, that was really, really nice actually, um, so just fingers crossed we keep going down the levels and we can do things properly. Yeah, fantastic. I can't wait for that. I can't wait to actually be in a room. You know, it's amazing having set up an organisation with a board and we've not actually all met yet in the room. That's it, weird. It's, it's really weird. It is weird. But I mean, thrilled that we've got such fab folk on our board and making rights real. Um, but yeah, I can't wait to get everyone in a room. <laughs> Aye, it'll be great. It'll be weird, but it's, it's good. It was nice. We, we really enjoyed it. That's the one that we did say. It was the first sort of, you'd sat down at the table and you're like, what do we do now? Like, why can I see all you? I'm only used to seeing your head. It was just, it was, it was strange. Um, but very, very good, strange. And more of it, more of it. Um, so then, could you do, is there any um, memorable moments or any highlights of your career that you would like to sort of chat about? Um, I guess one of the most memorable things for me was um, chairing the World Community Development Conference in Dundee in 2019. 
Um, I joined the International Association for Community Development about four years ago. Um, and the year after I joined, they said, well, let's have our next international conference in Scotland because IUCD is funded by the Scottish government, partly. Um, and it was a bit of a celebration of 20 years that we've been um, based in Scotland. Our head office is based in Scotland and the SCDC offices in Glasgow. And so I said, well, why don't we have our next big international conference in Scotland? And I was like, right, OK, that'll be great. That'll be great crack. Um, and being from Dundee, I was like, yeah, let's just have it in Dundee. Let's bring a World Community Development Conference to Dundee. So we got partners together with Dundee Council, Dundee and Angus Convention Bureau, Dundee and Angus, Dundee Leisure. We had um, the University of Dundee and other partners in place. Um, and it was just incredible. You know, we, we started off thinking that we'd have 150 folk coming to a two-day conference and ended up with 500 plus people from 37 countries over an eight day celebration of culture, community development, um, practice exchanges, music, art, you name it, we had it. And it That's was huge. absolutely incredible. It was the best experience in my life, Connor, honestly. And I think what made it amazing was the people that were on the coordinating group just became like friends really, really quickly. You know, we'd, we'd have wild ideas and nobody was there to tell us, no, we can't do that. So <laughs> it just grew and grew and grew and became a really creative and kind of feisty conference as well. I think that shook up a bit of the academic world around conferences, because I was really clear that being a practitioner, um, I needed it to be a conference where practitioners could feel like their work is completely celebrated in a creative way. So we did have, we had art, we had um, kind of soulful moments of, of walking around a labyrinth. We had music, we had the children's parliament there, we had um, posters, we had engaging sessions, panels, we had, you know, practice exchange visits and cultural walks around Dundee and poetry and we filmed, we had a film commissioned from the Landless Workers Movement in Brazil. So, you know, it was just awesome and kind of showed me that when you're in a team of people who are brilliant at what they do and comfortable and confident about what they do, that you can just... Um, you can move mountains actually so it was really a powerful a powerful bit of work for me to be involved in um, and to lead and I loved it and I think people who came to the conference loved it as well because they're still talking about it <laughs> that's amazing like over 500 people is that's oh wow imagine that now That'd be oh. Well, you know, that, that's been a big challenge for our colleagues in Kenya. So, you know, as the chair of the Dundee Conference, I'm handing over the baton to our pals in Nairobi who are, are running this conference, which starts on the 21st of June, 21st to the 23rd of June this year. And not only have they had to postpone it by a year because the conference was meant to be last year, um, but they've also had to move the whole shebang online. And that in itself is um, a really a difficult task for something like 300 and odd presenters who are going to be presenting at the conference, as well as trying to get that vibe of 
um, you've not got everyone in the same room. So how do you get that that vibe of celebration of everybody being together and the, the connectedness that can happen over a cup of tea or a wee walk outside in the sunshine? How, how do you do that? And they, they've done um, amazingly well to pull off a conference um, a year later and moving everything online, which is, is just awesome. I'm really proud of, of Daniel and, and his team in Nairobi of, of doing that. So there's still there's still spaces available. If you'd like to, to book, you can you go on the IACD website or you can go on um, the WCDC 2021 um, conference and, and book your spot. It's only 50 50 dollars for three days so you're more than welcome to to join us yeah definitely will definitely will and what we can do is we can leave links in the description for MD as well so they can get um quick access to the links as well that'll be dead interesting to see how they do it online over the three days and and how that sort of comes about because especially from what you had in 2019 to seeing how then it sort of gets adapted that'll be crazy to see yeah, yeah, I'm really, I'm looking forward to it. I know they've put a power of work and they've had a lot of support actually from our international colleagues who, um, in Australia and in Georgia, who are hosting the 2022 conference um, in Georgia. That'll be in June 2022. And they've been supporting um, with a lot of the tech solutions to getting that whole shebang um, over, over the internet rather than actually in person. Yikes. Aye. I'm glad that wasn't me. That's all I can say. <laughs> Aye. You, that's you're, you're covered. You've, you've done your time. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Aye, definitely. Um, Sin, has there been any like um, challenges or any setbacks that you've had in your career? And then if so, what have you learned from it? I think one of the challenges that I've had was when I had a period of, of mental ill health um, with work I think that that was a really difficult time for me because um, it's not really often spoken about that you know community workers might have mental ill health usually you know we're there for everybody and we're, and we're doing everything for all people and I think that was a bit of a learning curve for me to think about actually what do I need in place in myself to be well enough in myself to be able to do um, to live life well and I think for me that journey of kind of therapy and support to 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 really put in place things that can make me feel well really was great for me because it made me think about when we came into that Covid time what's the resilience that I need within myself to be able to get through this? Because it was a hard time, hard time for everybody. I don't know about you, but uh, I mean, it really, really was difficult. So things that I then have to do every day is, is get out into the fresh air and go for a wee walk or do things that I love with people that I love, try and make contact with people every day and make sure that I'm dancing around the kitchen sometimes. Um, you know, so really actively reflecting as well on um, and being aware of where my mental health is. And I think that's really important for, for everybody to do that and to talk openly about if you have anxiety or depression or other mental ill health, that, that there's help available that you can you can be supported and, and that we can support each other and our tribe of community workers here in Scotland to to make sure that that we're well and well enough supported in the work that we do. 
Definitely. And I think that if, if COVID really has taught us anything, we really need to learn how to self-care a lot better. Um, and, you know, we, we do need to recognise, and I think that coming out of it, a lot of the conversations I've had with friends and family and colleagues is how the, everybody has struggled at some point. We've not struggled at the same points, but everybody's had something. And it's so important that we speak about it and we do reflect on it, like you've said. And that's brilliant that you've got the strategies, you know, that work um, and make sure that you can do that. Because it is something that definitely I think everybody has it's been so everybody's has been affected at some point over COVID, um, and it's so so important that we speak. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think just sometimes when you you know when you're in the middle of um, facing mental health difficulties, you don't actually know that the help there's help out there, you know, or you can't see it, yeah. and it's about making yourself aware of that and being in tune to that so that you can look after yourself, um, so that you're then well enough to be able to serve and work with other people yeah totally totally um so thanks for sharing that because that's uh, is very personal so um thanks that you're all right with sharing that um so then is there anything that you would uh, like to change within cld i think um for me what i've seen over the past couple of years is a bit of that service delivery model in in cld you know that co-option of being part of the system and less about actually changing some of the systems that we've got in place that um, that enable power to flourish and and disable people from being able to to be really active and I've seen a bit more of that in the last couple of years which I think it would be great to change. And I hear from community workers sometimes that they feel like their hands are tied if they're working for a local authority or if they're if they're being funded um, through that through that way. And can they actually be the radical folk that they want to be in terms of changing and supporting people? So I'd like to see a bit of that change a bit more and also protecting the profession a bit more. You know, that we um community development and community learn and development as an approach and it's a profession and a discipline as well and I'd like to see much more resource and much more recognition going into the work that we do. There are amazing community workers and youth workers all over um, all over Scotland and I think that we sometimes don't get the recognition that there should be for the profession. People are working really hard to support the most marginalised and to support young people to have a voice and look at the amazing work that, that's happening with in the youth sector across Scotland. I'd love to see much more recognition of that um, across all kind of spheres. Um, and I'd love to see much more resources being put into community development. Quite often it seems like, um, you know, we're the poor relation actually when you look at education and how education is funded, but when we've seen with COVID, it's been communities and community workers that have been, and communities that have been picking up the pieces and making um, making shifts to, to ensure that people are, are, are well cared for during this time. So actually that's that would be my mission, would be to make sure that there's much more resource, much more recognition given to um, communities and to community workers. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think the, the recognition thing is something that stands out for me. And that is part of the motivation for um, starting this podcast as well, is that we're no great at saying that we're good, but we're also no great at spreading that message across. Um, we're getting better. I think we are definitely getting better. But it is that it's the, the community workers who have been running the youth club for 30 years voluntary. We, we need to shout, we need to celebrate their names. They need recognition that we need to do that. Um, and that's part of what we're trying to achieve with this um, as well, because this is a platform where we're able to do that to some capacity, you know, so, um, and definitely more resources um, for in my role at the moment. I would, I would love a lot more resources. We could, we could always use more, couldn't we? And imagine what you could do with it. Eh? You know, if you had a lot more resource, you imagine like actually the possibilities that that kids kids come when communities are empowered as well to have more resource. I'd, you know, I'd love to see much more participatory budget and in, in, in a more creative way to go to the most marginalised communities. Um, that that's a big thing for me is being able to actually see that resource in the public pound working for the people that need it most. I'd love to see much more of that. Yeah, definitely. There's a there's a local um, project um, that's close to us that's doing participatory. Particip- I can't say it. Participatory <laughs> budgeting. Oh, so, um, but it's been brilliant the last few years. Just the developments in the area, um, and it's real local people making real local decisions, and it's it's a great example of how it really works when it's done right. So it is, it's 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 great to see, and we should definitely have more of it. And for me, what's really cool as well is there's opportunities to build in human rights budget into that. You know, human rights budget is coming into Scotland much more. The work of the Scottish Human Rights Commission and um, the folk like um, Angelo Hagen at Glasgow Cali University are doing, looking at actually how can we embed the principles of human rights in budget. And, and that could be happening right at the grassroots as well, so that money is going to the people who, who need it most and for the issues which will make the, make the biggest impact. Uh, locally and um, so yeah there's lots of exciting possibilities I think in Scotland for sure yeah definitely and I, I think that there's there's potential and there's opportunity so hopefully that um, these things get capitalized on and we're able to um, go with it and able to make it work and grow um, so this is sort of uh, this, this question I suppose is a bit similar to the last one but it's just where do you think CLD is just now and but also how do you see it potentially changing? I see it actually as being really strong. I think after um, after COVID there's been a bit of a, a, a light shone on the exemplary work in CLD that's happened, the move on to digital, the move to be um, to be nimble and to be supporting communities. And there's a real strength there, I think, that we need to build on. Um, I think definitely in terms of the, the move towards digital, CLD has been um, leading the way in that. Um, there's been a lot of cracking work done. But I think there's probably an, a bit more of an opportunity to be reclaiming that space and keeping it um, central in people's minds because it's going to be really easy when we come out of COVID actually for folk to go back to the way that they were and that communities are sidelines and community work and CLD professionals are sidelined in a way and I think we've been able to show our metal throughout this time I mean we've always showed our metal anyway but I think the spotlight that's been shown on, on the work that um, people are doing by you know this podcast 
in other kind of ways is fab. And I think that that gives us an opportunity to springboard forward and say, actually, we need much, 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 much more of this and not less of it. And we need people to, you know, to be free to be able to um, do the amazing work that they know works best in their communities. You know, people know their communities best. They know what works. They know what doesn't work. And, and that um, shift towards making that change where people are really empowered um, I think is a, an opportunity that we need to grab with both hands. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, you'd, you'd mentioned digital. And I think a big thing for us as well is not losing what we've learned. It'll be very, very easy just to slip back into the old routines. Um, but I think it's for us having that still focus and using the resources that we've tapped into for the last 15, 16 months, um, how do we enhance them and how do we develop on these while getting the face-to-face back because we've learned so much here so let's not waste these skills that we've also developed so that's a, that's a one of the things for me the now anyway is how do we keep it up and how do we still have it within our day-to-day um if we can go back to it and also remembering a lot of people I suppose have mentioned go back to normal but for a lot of the people that we work for in the communities normal is no good enough because they still struggle, you know. So it's about still us remembering that side. And as we come out of this, how do we still support and how do we still offer that? Yeah, and, you know, and realising that not everybody wants to engage in the digital way either or is not able to. I think that was massive for me as well, seeing those gaps um, was massive. And although there were opportunities maybe for, for people to get involved in, in different ways or for people maybe rurally as well who had the connectivity to get involved in national stuff, there are so many people who just weren't able to be engaged. So we need to not lose that human connection and that's the, the real power of, of the work that we do is in that human connection and bringing people together to be able um, to support each other. So this is the last question that we put at the end of every podcast. So um, what I'd just like to know is what advice would you give to someone who's looking to start a career in CLD? I'd say to them to dream big because whatever they're dreaming now is only about 5% of what they could probably achieve. They need to dream much, 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 much bigger um, and think about, you know, why is it they're going into this career and what do they really want to get out with it and who are the people that they want to work with? I'd say... Do what you love with people that you love and build your tribe around you. There are amazing folk out there who um, you just need to connect with. And if you can build that tribe of people around you, have different expertise, even from different fields, do that because it will be amazing when you can can get together and and pool and draw from different resources. And I'd say... um, challenge yourself keep challenging yourself to learn new things and to learn new practice because I love getting students I actually love getting students because they just give you a fresh perspective on theory and practice and challenge your thinking and and that's an amazing space to be in when you've been a community worker for 20 years and I think the last bit of advice would say be bold and be brave and just be yourself so brilliant so thanks very much for joining us today um where can people find you on social media well you can find me on twitter at claire underscore mac g or you can follow um, making rights real on twitter which would be fantastic and that's rights underscore real 
if your interest is in work around children's the parliament and children's rights, I'm a trustee with the children's parliament and they're at creative underscore voices, the children's parliament. And if you're interested in international community development stuff, it's IACD underscore global for the International Association for Community Development. So all of those places usually cause interruptions and shenanigans on Twitter. <laughs> Join me there. <laughs> Brilliant. Make sure you follow because there's some good stuff that you can find that you can bring into your work. So Brilliant. So, is there anything else um, that you'd like to add? Or? No, I just want to thank you, Connor, for um, listening to my nonsense over the past uh, wee while. It's been great to just be able to talk about my own experiences and, and to hopefully spread the word about community work a bit more further yeah brilliant no thanks very much for joining us it's, it's been really nice to get to know you so you too thank you. and hopefully Cheers. next time it'll be in person hopefully definitely definitely next time brilliant thank you <laughs> okay cheers connor Bye. thanks very much claire for joining us today it was really nice to get back recording the podcast and doing this again Make sure you head to Twitter where you can follow Claire and Macon's Rights Real. The tags will be in the description. Hope you guys enjoyed this conversation and make sure to follow us on Twitter at CLD Talks where you can join the conversation there. Thanks very much. See you next time.